Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read our opening verse out of um, the Living Bible this morning just for what it declares. And uh, last year in October, we did uh, Pulpit Freedom Sunday. And uh, in leading up to the election as a declaration with uh, about 2,000 churches across the nation in declaring that there is no separation between church and state. That as Christians, as believers and in our pulpits, it was a stand to take back our pulpits from the government. The government's told us, hey, you can't speak about certain things. We can speak about anything we want. And the lie is that, well, they'll take away your tax exempt status. No church in the history of the IRS and income tax has ever lost its church status for preaching on political issues. It is a lie. It, it is a bluff. Are you with me? And uh, I'm not preaching politically this morning, but I am going to declare we're standing today is a Pulpit Freedom Sunday, and we're partnering with them again this year. The reason we're doing it in June is because this month, how many know that the Supreme Court is going to make a decision this month, somewhere around the 17th of June, on whether or not we redefine as a nation traditional marriage? And, and that's going to, that decision is being made. How I many know you need to be praying for your government and for your leaders? Because there is a secular move and, and, and there is a cultural move that's moving in this direction to acceptance. And I just, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm not here to harp on that issue. But there are some things that are very true for us to stand. And if you're going to stand for truth, you're going to come under opposition. And for me, I, I think the church has become a giant wuss. I, 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 I like what uh, Mark Gunger said, is that we've seen the wussification of America. That men, the mass, being men. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We don't have to be feminized. Amen. And doing that, but stand. But in the same process, and, uh, it, and, and, and I'm like this, if I want to touch my feminine side, I just go hug my wife. Amen? And so with that. So, but, but what I'm saying is, is that there's a place that re- regardless of the issue, the issue is not the point. The stand is the point. And I'm going to share something with you just briefly. When it comes to societal issues, when it comes to the, 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 the ploy, if I could say it that way, or the tactic of our day for those that are in opposition to truth, that's what this is. is, is that if I take it and I make it personal, if, 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 if just for any reason, I'll use my son because he still has to love me. <laughs> but, but if Sean is involved in something that's contrary or uh, a deviation from the truth of God's word, then because he's my son and because I love him, that love and that emotion doesn't alter the truth. And just because you can turn around and, yes, I feel sorry for him. I'm glad he's like that. I'm I'm sorry people don't know. And yes, I have all that emotion. But truth is still truth. And so we, but but that ploy, yeah, but these people, when it comes to gay marriage and and that, but but they're, they're two people and you're deprived. I'm not depriving two people of anything. This isn't about the people. 
But immediately, once it gets pushed into the people, that's what the term like homophobe or those other things come up, is that that's what that term. You know what, when we, how, how many believe that marriage is of God? How many that, that divorce is against God's law and God's plan? But people go through divorce. But just because you preach on the faithfulness in marriage and keeping covenant with God and, and you take a stand against divorce, nobody calls you a divorceophobe. Are you with me? And so we, but there's certain areas of truth that we don't. But for some reason, these areas, we get labeled certain ways. But it's not about the person. It's about the principle of the truth and standing for that. Paul says this when it came to preaching the gospel and standing up against those in his day that had come to the church at Galatia. And it says it's not enough just to be saved, but you have to add this stuff to it. So they were bringing a, 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 a perverted mix of Judaism back into Christianity. And there are things that we do and we keep. There, there's being obedience to God. We are not under law for, uh, as Christians, we don't do anything to be accepted by God. We took communion today, and through the body and the blood of Christ, we are accepted by God. Okay? But now that we're accepted, we are called to live under commandment. We don't obey laws to be justified and accepted by God, but we keep His commandments in order to live holy before Him. Okay, And so that's how we live. We, we live like that, and we live holy before God, and it is important to do that. And somebody telling somebody or calling somebody into accountability to live holy is not against a person. It's a declaration for truth. And so at Galatia, they were saying, no, you have to add this back in. And I like, as I was reading this verse in one second, he says, those that are telling you you must cut something off, he says, I wish they'd cut off a whole lot more than just circumcision. Paul was pretty rude sometimes. Amen. But he's taking a stand. He is again taking a stand for declaring the resurrection as victory. And what God does now is he comes and he circumcises our heart and gives us an open heart and a clean heart before God. Amen. But these people were bringing this back in. So Galatians chapter 5 and verse 11, if you're there, I'm reading out of the, out of the Living Bible. It says, some people even say that I myself am preaching that circumcision and Jewish laws are necessary to the plan of salvation. Well, if I preach that. I would be persecuted no more, for that message doesn't offend anyone. How many know we're trying to do a lot of that today? Not offend anybody. And you hear a lot of Christians Christian say it like this. Well, you know, I'm a peacemaker. No, you're not. You won't take a stand. You can't have peace without taking a stand. Are you with me? And sometimes peace comes at the expense of opposition. Are you with me? All right, so look what he said. That if that was true, for that message doesn't offend anyway. The fact that I'm still being persecuted proved that I'm still preaching salvation through faith in the cross of Christ alone. Father, I thank you this morning that in these next few moments, we could speak and articulate the truth that we so need to hear today in learning how to stand, learning how to identify the deception that is running rampant in our churches and across our nation as a whole, Father. Bring clarity, light, and understanding to our hearts, our minds. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So look at the cover of your outline. And in this, before I get there, let me just read this little statement that I put here. Societal issues of our day is the fleshing out of our problem by making the issue a person and no longer a principle or truth. When it, let me say it again. This isn't in your outline. But when it comes to, to these issues, we want to flesh everything out. 
People try to flesh everything out, no matter what it is. Medical marijuana. I mean, I, I could touch anything. Hello? But what we want to do is that the moment you do that, then when we flesh out the problem and make it the issue a person, we understand that there is a personal level of experience and there's a principal level of truth. Are you hearing me today? There's a personal level of experience in life, but then there is a principal level of truth. And we are called to live by truth. John wrote in his third epistle, and he said in 3 John, and he says, My children, I have no greater joy than to hear that you walk in the truth. When Jesus came, he said, I am what? The way, the, and, so he said the truth. So this, and, and he said, the words I speak to you, they are truth, and they are life. And so truth is something that is very definite and something very definitively that's broken down in our lives and in God's Word. And so no matter how hard we try to redefine truth by personal experiences, it will never produce the outcome we are looking for. It only serves to produce our own demise. Every time we define truth and we look down the road a little ways, it ends up with tragedy. Time shows, and, and, and what we try to do, then we try to get back to it. And sometimes we don't get all the way back. We get back so far, but not back to the place that we left. Are you with me? And there's some areas here that are very important that, that when it comes to this, and let me just say this because it is the area of marriage. Let me just go through this, and then I just, the outline today is more reading than preaching, but I want to get this declaration out first if I can. So I want you to see this. Uh, I listened to yesterday in preparation for this, I, I listened to an almost three-hour debate, uh, Pastor Jim Garlow in, in San Diego, who is a big proponent, worked very hard for Prop 8 and that in our nation, but he brought together uh, proponents, very learned proponents and well-respected proponents on both sides of the gay marriage issue, and they had a debate at his church. Uh, 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 Robinson, I forget the guy's first name, but his name is Robinson, but he is the Episcopal Bishop from Massachusetts who is an ordained Episcopal gay bishop and uh, married to his partner and then another gentleman of the gay community and then two PhD people from the Christian community. And that one lady was a Catholic, another guy uh, I think out of the Wesleyan background and that. But, uh, and, and very learned people and they were having this engagement back and forth about this. But when the, when the Episcopal Bishop spoke up and he began to talk about that, I want you to hear some interesting things that he said. And uh, he came together and said, let's remember what we agree on, even if we disagree on this one thing. What an amazing statement. Let's remember what we agree on, even if we disagree on this one thing. Jesus said it like this, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Are you with me? And the enemy always tries to get you just to look at the mass. Don't think about the small. Just look. No, no, no. We agree on all. And he went through his litany of everything. We, I'm born again. I believe in God. I believe in the scripture. Blah, 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 all this stuff. But then from there he made this statement. He says, our problem is that book. He, he didn't call it the Bible. He called it that book. And I went, whoa, that book. That book. Now stay with me. Now listen. Please listen to me. Don't get mad at the person. You don't even know the guy. You couldn't even recognize him if you saw him. Don't cop an attitude right here. This is not personal. This is principle. 
And, and I want you to hear the principle that he's putting forth in place of truth. Are you listening to me? Because if you don't get out of the personal realm, you're going to go flesh to flesh. How many know Paul said, we don't war against flesh and blood? But against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And, we, we, and, and the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. But, but there's a spiritual warfare that's going on. And then our weapons are against those things that, that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Are you with me this morning? So there's a thought that tries to exalt itself above truth. Now listen to what he said very quickly. It says, that book, our problem lies in how we view it and perceive it. He says, it contains words about God, but not words dictated by God. We get off track when we use the words in that book, if they are an end, are to be an end, and an answer. Well, I don't know about you, I've chosen to live my life by this book. Amen? And, and, and not just on the issue of what is traditional marriage or any other thing, but for every principle of my life, I believe the Word of God gives me a great foundation to build upon. I agree with Jesus in Matthew 7, that if I build my life, if I hear His Word and do His Word, then I build my life on this great foundation that can endure the storms of life. The winds can come and the storms can come and the flood and beat against it, and my life will endure the storms. Are you with me? So I, I believe in that book. Hallelujah. So think about it. We get off. All of those words are meant to point to the living reality of a loving God. To the living reality of a loving God. And when he said this, this thought came up in my mind. Loving and condoning are two different aspects of fatherhood. How many know what I'm talking about? Loving and condoning. Two different aspects of fatherhood. I love all of my children, but I have not condoned all of their conduct within the boundaries of my love for them. I have moved at times to correct them in an endeavor as a loving father to bring them back on course. But what this man is saying is that a loving God, a loving God embraced me. But God's embrace of love, you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. God is embracing you. But the embrace of love isn't a condoning of behavior. That's why the essence of the gospel is repent and be reconciled to God. Repent, turn around and be reconciled to God. It doesn't say be reconciled and continue on. The woman caught in adultery, Jesus said, woman, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Repent, change the direction and the conduct of your life and live differently. Are you with me? And so that's the essence of the gospel. And so, but people try to say, no, God loves us, therefore he loves us, therefore he condones our behavior. We have that mindset on a lot of areas in the church today. Not just it, Christians have a lot of liberal thinking. We call ourselves conservatives. We are pretty liberal. Could I get an amen? We, we think very little. We, we talk about, we don't think a lot about holiness. Did I just cuss? But, but, but in that area, how many know what I'm saying? In that area. And, and so, but, but that's love. A, a, a loving father who loves but doesn't always condone. The reason he brings credit is to bring us back. He said it like this. He said, I take that book so seriously that I refuse to take it simply. And he made this statement. He said that there are two verses 
that he would like to see taught and expanded. And it was John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, when Jesus says, There are many things I want to say to you, but you can't hear them now. How is it when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things? He will take everything that is mine and show it unto you. And the argument that he made is that during that day and that time, there was no cultural relevance to what we're facing today. But yet, if you go back and read history, if you go back, way back and read history, there were warnings about gay marriage and gay, gay involvement and, and, and uh, same-gender relationship. And so it's always been a part. And the analogy made was this. He said, if we're in the year 3000 A.D. and baseball is no longer being played, and somebody makes a reference, hey, they're out in left field, nobody would know what you think about. Because they know what it means to be out, and they know what a field is, but they don't know the reference of being out in left field. Because baseball hasn't been played for long, so it's no longer culturally, so that term would no longer be culturally relevant. Nice try, bad example. Are you, do you understand what I'm saying? And the reason I'm saying this today when it comes to taking a stand is that you are being bombarded with just a slight twist on so many areas in your life and in my life that comes against us in our home. Can I just tell you with all honesty, without any... Uh, uh, prejudice or anything, whatever your parenting skill is, the greatest destruction to one, one of the greatest destructions to our family is when we took the rod out of our house. Is when timeouts replace spankings. Because there's an age when you can train up a child in the way he should go. And now parents have children who are running the home. Well, if you're going to let them be the boss of their life, why don't you just let them have your checkbook too? If they're going to boss the house, why not let them run the finances? Don't shout me down when I'm preaching really good. If they're not old enough to make, if they can't balance a checkbook, they're not old enough to make a decision on what they want to do. How do you feel about that? They're not old enough to feel about anything. Decisions, wise decisions aren't made on feelings, they're made on truth. And they need a parent to lead them and guide them in truth. I heard Steve Harvey, Pastor Sue and I were eating lunch the other day, and, and I heard Steve Harvey on, on his, he's a comedian. African-American, and, he, and he's got a show, and he's doing a family show, and these ladies talking about getting along, and her daughter was texting, had 4,000 texts in one month, and I try to help her, and she gets mad at me, and he goes, wait a minute, you're the parent, you own the phone, tell her to go to school and make friends, she needs you to be the parent at home, what a revelation, I said, yeah, <laughs> hallelujah, preach, <laughs> amen, so it does, but, but what I'm saying is that this slight twist comes to your life and my life in so many different ways. Not just on the issue like this, uh, what we would call a major issue of redefining marriage. But redefining the structure of the home. Redefining the standards of the home. What is right? Making you feel guilty because you correct your child. Oh, you still spank? Yes. And at times, if I could get them down, I would still spank. Some of you have, your, your kids are full grown and your grandkids are full grown and you would like to reinstitute spanking. How many know what I'm saying? But in this area, watch me. So, so in this, follow me. And then the other gentleman said this about marriage. He said, we're not trying to change it. Listen to this very carefully. Listen to the statement. We're not trying to change it. 
We just want to be let into it. I don't want to change it. We just want to be let into it. Just let us in. And then the lady who was a PhD on the Christian side got up and she brought this point in. It was very powerful. She says this isn't just about marriage. What this is about is about what's called the... uh, Let me turn to it fine. She made this statement. The essential purpose of marriage is to attach mothers and fathers to their children and to one another. The essential purpose of marriage is to attach mothers and fathers to their children and the parents to each other, to one another. Amen? And several years ago, there was a law that was passed, several decades ago, called the presumption of maternity. How many know whenever a child is born, there's usually a mother somewhere close by? Pretty much a given. Amen? So the presumption of maternity, of parenthood, who is the parent, who the parents are, who the mother is and who the father is. And that was determined to bind them to each other and to bring cohesiveness to the family unit. And so what happened is, is that when you come into gay marriage, now that you are making that relationship gender neutral, that's being redefined. So there is a mother and the, the general purpose is that we know who the father is. Many times we know who the father is, sometimes we don't. But, if, if that, but in that area, it was to identify. But now, because it is general neutral, it's be, just being returned to the presumption of parenthood. So it means that if two women are in a marital relationship or or in a civil union, it means then that the woman who maybe bore the child, but then, and this person has lived with them and been their partner, but has no, it is impossible for her to have an input into the birth. Procreation between two genders, same gen, between same gender relationships is impossible. So there was an outside father. But then if that goes through a breakup and what they're finding that's being tried right now in law is that the partner is coming back and say, I want parental right to a child that I have no parental involvement with. I had no part in parenting the child, giving birth to the child, but I'm now claiming that. So it's bringing a, it, it's not just a matter that you're giving Mary, but the trickle-down effect and, 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 the, and the, cons, the, the accumulative effect over time begins to affect so many different avenues. But people don't tell you the whole story. They just bring you back to the play of making it a social issue where you feel sorry for the person. Are you listening to me? And people, because, we're, because Christians are loving and compassionate, Christians are embracing same-gender marriages. Well, I think they should have the right to love each other. Listen, guys, we don't realize what we're giving up. And, what the, and so somebody, you have to be afraid. Paul said, hey, I'm not afraid to stand and to preach the gospel. I'm being persecuted for it. I shared with the men in discipleship this morning. If you have time, you can go back and read it in Acts chapter 24. But Paul has appealed to Caesars, being held in prison. He went to Jerusalem, and, and they're being caught up and being arrested. And they're saying he was violating the law and doing things in this big commotion. So he's arrested, and he's being held by, by, by Felix and, and his wife there, uh, uh, Drusilla. 
And they're there, and uh, they call Paul up. They hear that Paul's there and say, hey, let's call Paul up and have him talk to us. And here's Paul. He's in prison, and he's being called before the governor. And you would think that at that moment, the apostle Paul would say this. He would be thinking, wait a minute. I'm incarcerated, and, and, and I'm really not able to. He's kind of being held in, on house arrest, and his friends are able to come and minister to him. But he can't go preach everywhere like he needed. He can't go on missionary journeys. He's just locked up there. He is con- confined. And so now he's called up before them, and you would think that maybe his logic would be this, that as I'm getting this opportunity as being walking up to speak to them, you know what, I'm going to start out softly. I'm just going to get to know them. Hi, my name's Paul. Glad to meet you. Felix, Rosilla, you look beautiful today. Wonderful. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak to you. And, and thinking that maybe if I win them over, if they like me, and I can get their favor in a relationship, and then maybe down the road, you know, I can share a little bit about my testimony and really what led up to this. But it says that they asked him to talk about the faith. He had a three-point sermon. Righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And it scared Felix. And he goes, okay, back to prison. And the only time he brought him out after that was to try to coerce a bribe out of Paul to be let go. To try to get to Paul, say, if you give me some money, I'll let you go. Paul said, I ain't got no money. But, but when he had the opportunity, he took the stand for righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Thereby condemning himself to stay in prison. And when Felix was set aside in order to appease the Jews, he kept Paul there for another two years. Wow. Why didn't he just use some wisdom and not stand on his conviction? Why did he have to stand so hard for the truth? He could have got himself out if he had just had a little, a, a little bit of tact and a little bit of ploy and went with understanding of what was going on. I'm sure he could have coerced. So he was a great guy. Could have talked about his history. Could have like identified. He said, you've asked me to speak on the faith. He says, this is what you need to hear. You need to hear about righteousness. Speaking to a man who was very unrighteous, did some very debauchery things, was living at that time in an adulterous relationship, and Paul starts out talking about righteousness and self-control. If you trace Drusilla's family history back, you find out that she's connected to the Herods who killed James's brother, the brother of Jesus, who... Uh, her great-great-grandfather ordered the killing of the children at Bethlehem. And her great-great-uncle is the one who, um, let me keep it straight, had John the Baptist beheaded. That's her family lineage. Amen? And he's talking to her about self-control. How many know she has a history of knowing how to take people out? And then, and with that, the coming judgment. And so much that they got afraid and they pushed him away. How many know we just need to be bold and courageous today in our day and speak the same way? And so all these things are being redefined with the redefinition of parenthood, everything else down the line. And, and I thought about this. I, I brought them and I forgot to bring them in. But how many have ever heard of the law of gravity? And uh, so... I. As, as I was going through this, I told Pastor Stu and I were listening to, to the end of it last night, and I thought about it. I said, hey, and I just felt this come up inside me. I said, the law of gravity, that if I, and, and I brought, I had a couple of cherry tomatoes out of my garden 
I was going to bring them in a rock. Well, if I drop the rock in the cherry tomato, how many know the law of gravity is going to have the same effect on both of them? How many know one's going to fare better than the other? The tomato's not going to do so well. The law of gravity is going to take effect, and the tomato's either going to get split, bruised, damaged, or bust wide open, whatever. Amen? But it seemed pretty unfair for God to create a law of gravity that was so impartial to tomatoes. That if he was a loving God, he would not subject tomatoes to gravity. That's just wrong. I'm going to go on a campaign to change gravity. Huh? No. But the law of gravity, so, but, but see, the, the tomato gets, the, the thing is, you're supposed to care for tomatoes differently than you do rocks. But, but just because it affects one differently doesn't mean that the law is unjust. Are you listening to me? Or the principle is unfair. And that's what we have to come back to all the way back to this area. Just because there is a godly standard. In the beginning, God said this. That he created them male and female. And he told them to be fruitful and to multiply. The law is that a relationship is to be between one man and one woman. Everything natural about the creation of humanity says that a relationship is for two people to be joined to come to one life. And that new life would flow out of that both in procreation but also through that union they would become one spirit together. And they would live in that life in that spirit of union. And same genders can't be joined that. And so we're trying to redefine something as basic as the law of gravity because we feel bad for tomatoes. And it, listen, guys, it is just that simple. But if I make it, if, if I say, well, Sean, my, Sean's my tomato, I'm sorry. And I love my tomato. And I'm going to stand for my tomato. I don't care. Gravity still has the same effect upon his life. And if he keeps going down that road, if he keeps going down that road, the law is going to crush him. Not because it doesn't love him, not because God doesn't love him, but that's the law. That's the truth. Let me just go through this quickly. Look at your outline. Living in the age of tolerance, acceptance, follow along with me. And compromise makes it difficult to stand for the true. There is more, this is more than just dealing with the encroachment upon the moral beliefs of our society. It is being able to draw a line in the sand for truth in every area of our life without compromise. Without a standard or truth to live by, then there is no place of surety left to stand upon. This will impact our lives when it comes to how we view the Word of God and His promises to us for salvation, provision, protection, healing, deliverance from evil and harm. If our senses have become so dull to truth that we can no longer see with clarity the difference between the truth and a lie, moral and immoral, justice and injustice, freedom and captivity, and just plain good and evil, then how shall we be able to discern anything. Hebrews chapter 5, the apostle Paul says, by this time you ought to be able to endure strong meat because they who are mature and can eat strong meat have grown to the place where they have their, their, their senses exercised to be able to discern between good and evil. Amen? 
Is it possible, this is my question, is it possible that we are so deceived in our day that we think there will be no consequence for our action and no judgment for our sin? Have we evolved so far that our technology, education, ingenuity, enlightenment has become our replacement theology for our need of a Savior? Do we see ourselves through the rose-colored glasses of our cultural advancement and believe that if Christ were to come today to redeem humanity, that it would be for naught? Have we so fashioned and created God in our image that He no longer has an identity of His own? Our world today will tell you that every thought or belief system is the same, that there is no need for a distinction of any kind between them, that we should openly embrace them all with equal acceptance and validity. Listen to what the man said. We don't want to change it. We just want to be let in. But Jesus said, I'm sorry, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. You can let anything else you want in, but like gravity, there is only one truth that will prevail. Somebody ought to say amen. Stay with me here. So I'm curious about this. Have we so molded him into the embodiment of all that we are instead of allowing ourselves to be conformed and transformed into all that he is that we have reduced him to a God of mere thought and concept with no power to break through the sin-encrusted consciousness of humanity and a secular world. And I'm telling you today, as the church, if you look at the church as a whole, our churches are full, we're preaching the gospel and everything, but we are not breaking through in a secular society. Our message is not changing our law. Righteousness is not prevailing. Think about it. I'm curious. If we have the right answers, how come we keep failing the test? How is it that we have volumes of books that fill the shelves of big box stores and web-based distribution centers on every subject conceivable to mankind, and as of yet no answer has been found for the woes of society, humanity, and our world? In the pursuit of rights and equality for all, I feel that we have simply lost the ability to know what is right. For we have declared nothing is wrong. Can I tell you in America, nothing is wrong? I'm not talking about just within the church, but in the, in the land where we live, nothing is wrong. Everything is okay. Well, if you like it, if it makes you feel good. Is this okay this morning? Or what? It's because I refuse to see or even dare to acknowledge the total depravity of man, and therefore we build in our minds a ladder of mental ascent that only leads us to a precipice of an empty, self-prescribed reality. And yet it is only after the unfortunate fall from all that we have built that we will even consider opening our hearts to the truth of God's love and redemptive plan for our lives. Hello? I failed so far. When I talked about it earlier and talking about marriage and talked about uh, uh, parental uh, identity in that area, presumed... uh, Uh, presumption of maternity in that area. Sean's mom and I lived together for 10 months. She got pregnant while we were living together. Out of that, we made the choice to do the right thing and got married. Our foundation was wrong. I was wrong. I was upside down, backward. I failed at being a husband and a father, and that relationship dissolved in less than 18 months. I was a failure at that. But in our mistakes, how many know that God is a God of forgiveness and restoration? And so in that, God forgave me. That, but, but through that crash, I, I, I went through a broken childhood. I never wanted my son to go through the separation, the hurt and the pain. I never wanted any of my children to have to experience what I experienced as a child. Did anybody have that desire besides me? And then we did the thing that we didn't want to do. 
until we found ourselves that place. And so, but God redeems us and restores us. So it's not about not making mistakes. It's not about doing that, but it's about learning how to do that. But after every, and, and I knew what the truth was. My grandfather was a pastor. I lived in his house for four years. I knew the power of God. I had answered altar calls and everything. But I was still describing my own reality. I was still, but, but it wasn't until I climbed my ladder of, uh, of self-perceived success and it fell that I came back to truth and called upon God. And so many times I wish it was differently, but so many times it's after our fall that we turn for restoration. Think about it. How is it that when, when something man created is broken, he sends it back to the manufacturer for repair? And yet we refuse to do the same with our life, thinking we can fix ourselves. We are so inoculated with deception and intoxicated with success that we think we can prescribe our own cure. And in doing so, the side effects are killing it. Now let me just say this morning, please do not take this personal unless you need to. Because so many times we preach, we go, well, why is he mad at me? I'm not mad at you. I'm preaching. I'm not mad at you. I love everybody. But I'm declaring, like Paul said, we, we need to declare righteousness, self-control, and the coming. We need to declare the message and take a stand. Because if people get up, well, why? What, what, what's going on? What's going on? Hey, if, if, you, if it's getting you, repent. If not, but I'm talking generally as our society as a whole. Has anybody looked outside lately? Have you watched the news? Have you seen anything going on? Is anything alarming about our culture today? Then who's going to be a voice for truth if not you? It does us no good to close our door, drop our shades, and say thank God for our family. Because it's coming to your house. Let me just tell you this, that if, re, if they eventually redefine marriage, then it's coming to our church. And there will be a day. Some of these things are the inroad to change the church and take away anything that speaks against what they don't want to do. The same way when Paul got up and declared that and he was shoved off into prison every time truth was proclaimed. When Stephen took up, you say, Paul, where'd you learn to preach like that? How'd you get so bold? Paul says, I remember one day when, when, when I was at a, at, a, at a meeting and a young man was preaching and many people were there and I said, hey guys, let me hold your coats while you go listen to this guy preach and hear some stones just in case he gets off base. And the young man's name was Stephen and Paul was the coat bearer at Stephen's funeral. And he says, while I was holding the other men's coats, I saw this man preach with conviction and a drive and desire. And here are men that had the power to release him or, 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 or to kill him. And he stood right there and he preached about Jesus Christ and the cross. And he called them into accountability all the way back from Abraham, all the way up to Christ. And when they had heard enough, then they rose up within the day. And he says, I see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And he entered into a promotion. And on that moment, I learned what it meant to be a man of God. What it learned to meant to stand for truth. And now that I have an opportunity today I'm not going to back down if it means I stay in prison then so be it if it means I lose my life then so be it but I am standing for the truth and I'm going to declare it to my generation God needs men and women who will do that. That's why we preach like this. That's why we declare like this. But if we don't look outside in our society and see what's going on and we close ourselves in, we're going to miss our opportunity. I put it like this. We're so inoculated and intoxicated. We are living our lives under the influence with our senses impaired and unable to respond as we should to the dangers ahead. We are LUI. 
living under the influence of our day and our culture. And Jesus says, come out and be transformed by renewing our mind. How is it that we, how is it that we can so easily identify with this downward spiral of destruction in the life of another and yet be so blinded to the reality of it in our own life? I'm amazed that we can look as a nation at other nations and do nation building and our nation is crumbling at our feet. Is there one issue that is more important or detrimental than another? No. They are all the evidence of the downward spiral of humanity rejecting its creator and endeavoring to create and define its life from itself. Therefore, we can do no wrong and there is no negative consequence to anything that comes out of us. For us, for, for it is all now defined as natural. Everything is natural. We're told it is natural for two men to be, get, be together. It is natural for same-gender relationship. Now God has taken the proverbial step backwards from us and left us to our own demise. Uh, A.W. Tozer said this, For every age has its own characteristics. Right now we are in the age of religious complexity. The simplicity which is in Christ is rarely found among us. Instead, there are programs, methods, organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention but can never satisfy the longing of a heart. The shallowness of our inner experience, the hollowness of our worship, and that servile Im imitation of the world which marks our promotional methods all testify that we in this day know God only imperfectly and, that the, peace of and the peace of God scarcely at all. What a statement. Amen. God is not a taker but a giver. People think that by acknowledging God in their lives that somehow they lose so much of their own freedom and individual identity. When in reality the completely opposite is true. In Christ we become truly free and find our true identity and purpose revealed in Him. Not the one fashioned by us. Fashion, not the one fashioned for us by others. There is a true identity in each of our lives that is discovered only when we come to life in Christ. Until then, we are no, no more than dead men walking. Ephesians 2 said we were dead in our trespasses and sin. The epistle to Diogenes says this, written in 60 AD. It says God, it, God is not need, in need of what we have, but man is in need of who he is. Surely he who made heaven and earth and all that is in them and supplies us with all we need cannot himself need anything of the things he himself provides to those who fancy they are giving them to him. What could we give to Him that stands in need of nothing? Ourselves back completely. The only true thing that we can ever offer to God as a sacrifice of real worth is our commitment and conviction to take a stand upon the truth of His Word and there to build our life. I'm sorry if that gentleman, and, and I, I appreciate Pastor Jim Garlow who stood up and, at the, one point of the conversation and, and he brought it up. He said, sir, I, I do have to disagree with you because when you said that book, that's the book that I stand for. And I appreciated him being there. It was just a conversation. It, it was a, a back and forth. It, there, there was uh, a little comp confrontation in it. But, but it was a conversation and engagement. Some, for some reason, we've, we're afraid of the conversation. We're afraid to engage. We're afraid to begin the conversation. To open up to somebody. We're, we're afraid to share truth. But we have to break out of that box. Are you with me today? We have to break out of that box. We have to be willing to stand. Even for your friend. Let's just think about winning somebody to the Lord. Well, if I tell them they need to repent and get saved, they're going to get mad at me. If you don't tell them, they're going to go to hell. We forget the inconsequence. 
The, the, the final result, if they die, if anything happened to them, I keep thinking about that. People that, that are very close to me, it keeps hitting me. Man, if anything happened to them, I don't know that they would make heaven. And if they don't make heaven, that means that they step into an eternity separated from God. And I can just tell you the Word of God tells us that is not good. Are you with me? So to reach people, we might have to take that stand. Therefore, think about it. I still believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that is why there will be offense when it comes to the cross of Christ and the preaching of its power. Yet we still must stand. That's why Paul said we read. If I was preaching circumcision, I would not be, because that message is accepted. But I'm preaching the cross of Christ. Therefore, I'm being persecuted. So we still have to be willing to take that stand. The worship team comes back. Paul intends that the offense of the cross was never, has never ceased and never can cease. To suppose otherwise would be folly on our part. The religion of Jesus is most peaceful, mild, and benevolent. Yet history shows it to have been assailed with the bitterness of hate all along. It is most offensive to, unregenerate, to the unregenerate mind. There is no reason for us to believe that is any more palatable to the world today than it used to be. The world and the gospel are both unchained. In spite of all of our social evolution, evolution, the bitter battle still rages. And I put some things here for you to go through. I'll let you go through that. If you'll look at the bottom of the last page, if you would. What are we going to do then? Here's the folly that thoughtless of thoughtlessness that men are offended men are offended with that which God ordains with that which must and will win the day with the only thing that can save them and with that which is full of wisdom and beauty here is grace that we who were once offended by the cross now find it to be the hope of our heart the great delight of our souls and the joyful boast of our tongues now comes the searching of our heart Perhaps we are secretly offended at the cross. Perhaps we, we give no offense to the haters of the cross. Many for professed Christians never cause offense to the most godless. Is this because we bear no testimony to the cross? Is this because we're not crucified to the world? Is this because there is no real trust in the cross and no true knowledge? Charles Spurgeon said this, and, and I, th this convicted me to my core. Let us not today follow those who proclaim themselves to be preachers of the gospel, yet are not friends of the cross. Let us have no fellowship with them who have no fellowship with Christ. We do not say don't love them. Preachers who have caught the spirit of the age are of the world, and the world loves its own, and we must disown them or take a stand for truth. Let us not be distressed by the offense of the cross, even when it comes upon us with bitterest scorn. Let us look for it and accept it as a token that we are light in the world. Charles Spurgeon. Wow. That's awesome. Christ is the one called Savior, not just merely teacher. He is the only one who died on behalf of our sin and the judgment that was upon our life. I can follow a leader, but I must live for a Savior. Are you listening to me, church, this morning? Everybody, please look up here. You, you can follow teaching. You can follow everything. You can follow. But you have to live for a Savior. And in order to live for God, I have to die to myself to live for Him. And we don't declare that with as much boldness as we should today. The offense comes in having to admit that I am lost 
And I am in need of a Savior. People say today, don't tell me I'm bad, tell me I'm loved. Don't tell me what's wrong, tell me I'm loved. Just tell me I'm loved, tell me I'm loved, tell me I'm loved. Yes, God says, I love you. God so loved the world. But in His love, hear me this morning. John 3 said, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son to save the world. If His love could just embrace it and accept it, why did Jesus die? Are you with me this morning? But because He loved us, He knows, guys, the rock and the tomato... I have bad news. You're the tomato. And if I don't rescue you from the fall, you'll perish. So while we were falling, the hand of God and the love of God in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ, came under our fall and caught us. And we sang that He came to my rescue. Are you with me? Thank God. He came for our rescue. And maybe you're here today. And you go, well, I, I'm not that bad. You're not. Nobody really was. I wasn't bad. I was just a professional sinner. I was well-trained experience. Had a PhD in sin. I could do it without thinking. But I wasn't that bad. Everybody, I had lots of friends. Everybody liked me. Hey, you're funny. Hey, cool. But I'm going to hell. Let me know what I'm saying. But then the love of God caught me at my fall and rescued me. Came, that song is so, came to my rescue. Bow your heads with me this morning. Come on, God needs some people to take a stand. He needs you to take a stand first on your knees. The first place you take a stand is on your knees before God. Saying, God, forgive me. It's that place where we come back. And church, let me hear you. We need to have up-to-date repentance in our own personal life. This isn't condemnation. Just saying, God, David said in Psalms 139, he said, God, where can I flee from your presence? If I go high, if I go low, if I go deep, if I go wide, no matter where I go on the face of the earth, you are there. So, God, here's what I want you to do. I, I open my heart up. Read my life like an open book. Reveal to me if there's any inward sin that I can confess it and deal with it. We need to have an openness before God. And we fall on our knees. We say, God, help me keep my life right before you. I confess my sin before you. I declare I need your mercy and your grace and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we stand in that place and then we begin to intercede for others that we know on our knees we begin to pray for those that we know that they need somebody to stand for truth in their life they need somebody to love them enough to tell them the truth somebody enough to tell them the truth even it means that they are ostracized for a season if the people you tell the truth to are offended at your choice but yet if you don't tell them that gravity has taken over they're not the rock or tomato and they're going to find themselves crushed at the end but there's a loving God who's put a hand out to catch them and to rescue them and so you pray for them on your knees you begin to intercede for the lost but then if I'm here today and I'm just a tomato I know I'm falling 
And everything I've tried to do in my life, in my strength, in my wisdom, applying all the psychology and help and ideas of this culture, everything I've done, it hasn't changed anything. I am still falling. I know it. No matter how I try to cover it up, no matter how much hairspray I put on my hair, try to hold it down, it's sticking straight up because I fall. No matter what, I mean, gravity is taking over and I'm aware of that. And maybe you're here today and that's you and you know you need a Savior. That if God doesn't rescue you, you're about to hit bottom. Maybe you're here today and you've had that crash like I had years ago. And God's going to come back along your life and He's able to forgive and to restore. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here today and you know you need a Savior, and God's brought you to this place to hear a declaration of truth, then I want you to hear me this morning. God has great love for you and you can find yourself at His feet being embraced by His love and being restored and reconciled by that same love. I'm glad that God took every broken piece of my life and rebuilt it. He made my life stronger. Like the broken walls of Israel when Nehemiah rebuilt them, God will take the broken down rubble of your life and rebuild it into something stronger than it was before. If you're here today and that's you while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, I need some rebuilding in my life. I know I need a Savior. I need that reconstruction. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Thank you, son. Anybody else? Thank you, sweetheart. Anybody else? Anybody else? God, move. Thank you, sir. Anybody else moving on your life? Come on. You need that love of God in your life. You need to be rescued. You need that hand of God underneath you. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm asking everybody just to stand to your feet for a moment. You've been very patient and kind. As the worship team begins to sing, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar. I'm going to ask our elders and leaders to come. If that's you and you need to find a place of prayer, you raise your hands in any one of those areas, then you have a private moment here with God. Every head bowed and every eye was closed. This is between you and the Lord. You can come up here and nobody will know why you're coming, which hand it was. But you can have that private time with God. You can have that personal time with the Lord. If you're here today and God's convicted you about being on your knees before Him personally in your life, if He's convicted you about being on your knees on behalf of somebody else, then take a moment and find that place here. If you're here today and you have hives or a type of skin problem, God wants to touch you. If you're here today and you're having problems with your back or an area like that, God wants to touch you. If you're having problems with your memory, having cognitive issues, God wants to touch you in that area this morning. If you're fighting and dealing with a heart murmur or an irregular heartbeat, God wants to touch your life this morning. So if that's you in any one of those areas, you come. While they lead us in worship, we want to pray with you, agree with you in any one of those areas. Our leaders come. We'll anoint you with oil, pray over you. Hallelujah.